What happens after a health data hack? Where does this stolen information end up? I'm Marian Kolbasek McGee, executive editor of Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with James Scott, senior fellow at the think tank organization, the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology. ICIT recently released a new report, The Deep Web Exploitation of Health Sector Breach Victims, which was prepared for the U.S. Senate. James, who is co-author of the report, will discuss some of the top findings from his research about where health data ends up after hacker attacks and other breaches. So now, James, for starters, in preparing this report, what was your definition of the deep web? And when you look on the deep web, what did you find in terms of stolen health data? What was most disturbing to you and why? There's a certain malignant toxicity that one experiences when they get to this part of the deep web because it encompasses the worst that you would consider when you're looking at PII and in this case EHR. We draw from the deep web and the dark web heavily with our research. We deal mostly with hacktivists, nation states, anyone that's putting exploits together to go after critical infrastructure. With this, I think one of the really sad things was it's probably the most draining report that we've put together because what starts out as lack of cyber hygiene from a health sector organization, you know, some billing department person clicking on a spear phishing link that says cute video of dancing kittens playing with toddler, you got to see this. They click on it. Malicious payloads injected into the network. They map the network. They begin to exfiltrate valuable information. And then it ends up on the deep web. One of the things that really stood out to us, it's not just PII and social security numbers and short firm data being sold. It's actual ID kits that are based on children and the elderly. And they're being sold into pedophile rings and human trafficking. And this sort of thing, this is what really stood out to us and it was really difficult to write about without adding a, a doom and gloom aspect to the report. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, everyone focuses on the ID theft aspect post-breach. When here in reality, that's the best thing that could happen to somebody after a health sector breach. So, James, when you look at the various collections of health data on the deep web, is it possible to trace back to find the source, the healthcare entity, for instance, that the data was stolen from? Sometimes they are that blatant. There was a breach in Athens, Georgia. It was in 2015. And this particular hacker was blatant enough to say, you know, here are the records from this breach. But typically, after a breach, the data will kind of go dark for a little bit, and then it resurfaces in different variations. So it'll look like just basic short form ID theft material. And then after a while, eventually the electronic health record will surface as what's called a, the the slang term on deep web is fools, F-U-L-L-Z. And that is a complete long form document of all of the intricacies of that person's health history, their preferred pharmacy, like literally everything. And what happens is the people that purchase those are then going to another vendor on the deep web for what's called docs, D-O-X, that's a slang term for documentation, where they then proceed to have 
passports, driver's licenses, social security cards, all of these other things that will help this counterfeit imitation of the victim to express that, okay, I am this guy, you know, I'm this person. And they end up being sold in, in the more seedy areas of the illegal immigration side of things. So you have a, an electronic health record that will typically go for $20 a piece. Then you'll spend a couple hundred dollars on docs to support that electronic health record identity. But then once it's a kit, you can then sell that for $1,500 to $2,000. At that point, that's where things get really sketchy. And one other thing that we saw towards the end of this report was you would take a, a full record of a child and they would be sold in pedophile rings. And what would happen is they would then team up with a social media monitoring application where they could set up real-time surveillance of local children for pedophiles. You know, so all this because a health sector organization is not responsible with their cyber hygiene. And the thing is, I think that if people saw what really happened after the breach, there would be an avalanche of lawsuits and people would be rioting in the streets every time they hear about one of these breaches because they don't understand what's going to happen to them and their family for five, six years from now. So now, James, in 2015, there were several record-breaking hacker attacks on health plans, including Anthem. In total, more than 100 million individuals were impacted by these various hacker attacks on health plans. Any indication that the data stolen in those attacks is now landing up on the dark web? And if not, why? And do you think it'll eventually show up? I think that the data is still obfuscated in just, you know, hey, look, this is a medical fool's record. A lot of these vendors don't want to bring heat. Like if they want to have any longevity in this marketplace, they're not going to say, hey, look, this is specifically from this particular breach. But they'll have the data and you can just put two and two together. So now when it comes to healthcare entities, the hospitals, the doctor clinics, how vulnerable are electronic health record systems and why? And what mistakes do you see healthcare organizations making when it comes to protecting their electronic health record systems and these breaches that we do see? Yeah, I think the health sector silo of our nation's critical infrastructure is continuously the most targeted, most vulnerable, and purely lackadaisical with their cyber hygienic practices, both at the staff level and the IoT microcosm around the organization. You know, their boardrooms, they don't even have a cybersecurity expert in the boardroom to help guide them through these critical decisions. A lot of the health sector organizations are still depending on unqualified IT people for their security instead of a dedicated SecOps team. I mean, most of them don't have best practices when it comes to staff cyber hygiene. Click on this. Don't click this. This is what a spear phishing attack looks like. Another issue that makes the health sector so vulnerable is a Frankenstein technology that was never meant to be networked into an IoT microcosm into their network. So these are completely vulnerable devices. So what happens is when an adversary gets someone to click on a spear phishing attack, for example, it gives that adversary carte blanche access to their network. They can map the network. They can sniff out vulnerable devices to set up beachheads for future attack, ransomware, malware. They can set up a backdoor with a remote access Trojan. And once they map that network and they know where the vulnerable devices are and they have that remote access 
Trojan in place, they can then experiment with packet sizes to exfiltrate to go undetected. And if they don't have any type of user behavior analytics, network analytics, they're basically just at the beginning of the end. So once they have access and they've gotten everything that they can out of that uh, health sector organization, the next thing that they do is they'll sell that access. So it's called access as a service. And that's when everybody gets into that network. So, yeah, they're not layering their security properly. It's a big problem. So now, James, when the hackers do attack the EHR systems, what in particular are they looking for? Is it everything? And, again, as you noted, you see some of this information ending up on pretty seedy areas of the deep web. But financial transactions, is that a motivation at all? For instance, you know, taking advantage of social security numbers and other sort of personal information for ID theft and fraud? Or is it, again, goes much seedier than that? Yeah, for example, on Alphabet, uh, which is a deep web, dark web marketplace, a medical pool, which is a long-form record for sale, it has first and last name, social security number, first and second address, home phone number, work phone number, email, last appointment, last visit type, next appointment date, next visit type, preferred pharmacy, and typically payment type as well, and insurer has everything that anyone would ever need to target a spear phishing attack for banking. From a social engineering perspective, it's the creme de la creme record for every conceivable variation of attack afterwards. That's why electronic health records are a treasure trove for adversaries. So now, James, your report was prepared for the U.S. Senate. What is the Senate planning to do with the report, as far as you know? Is it, for instance, considering new legislation or regulations? What was the purpose of the report for the Senate? So when we put out a report, typically the Senate and the House will ask us to come in and brief committees or offices. So law enforcement, federal agencies, health sector organizations, we've been getting requests for the past two years to write this paper. And after we put it out, then we were, the next thing was to go in and update the the Senate and staffers on what was actually happening. So you see really proactive committees like the Senate Health Committee, and you have representatives in the Senate Health Committee that have really good bipartisan relationships like Senator Murray, Senator Alexander. And that's the type of relationships that we were looking for because they have the staff that's very technically inclined already. And you can give them technical and difficult concepts like this and they'll know what to do with it. We'll see what they do. They're aggressively seeking solutions and they're excellent at putting dialogue together for stakeholders. So we'll see what's next from them. So, James, based on what you found in this research, what's your advice to healthcare entities in regards to protecting patient data so that it doesn't end up on the deep web? You know, I think layering their security, bringing in a SecOps team as opposed to depending on the IT guys who are completely unprepared and unqualified for this. And you have to analyze, you know, you have to look at the adversaries in this space. Where are the treasure troves of valuable data? Are they all in one jumbled up 
database or are they compartmentalized? What are you doing to detect abnormalities in user behavior in case someone's user credentials are uh, compromised? And I think that when you bring in a SecOps team, which is absolutely the most valuable advice that I can give, when they're pen testing, they have to use the same stealth and sophistication as the Russian nation state. They have to have the same desperation as China's 13th five-year plan. They have to have the same vigilance and need, this insatiable need to inflict chaos in an organization like the Cyber Caliphate. And from a cyber criminal perspective, they have to pen test your organization with the same desperation to find that valuable data and exfiltrate it as quick as possible before they're caught. That's how you pick a security operations team. And, you know, a good SecOps team will do everything else. They'll properly layer security. They'll educate the staff. They'll take care of all that. So start with the SecOps team. And one last question, James. A lot of healthcare organizations in the U.S. are small doctor offices, small clinics. Are they even more at risk because they might not have the resources to have a sophisticated security team? And does this leave everybody vulnerable? Oh, yeah. Local physicians, small independent pharmacies, they've already been out. So now it's just a matter of assessing the damage and finding how many adversaries are in their network exfiltrating patient data. So the smaller the office, the bigger the target, because the adversary most likely will not get caught. And when they actually have someone go in there to look at their network for abnormal activity, they'll probably find multiple actors within their network. Thanks, James. I've been speaking to James Scott. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.